0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Torvus Podcast. My name is Ari and I'm joined by Alex and Jason and this is our Dungeons & Dragons episode. And we are really, really excited to do this episode. We've been talking about it for the last two years and finally it is here. We're going to talk about the history of Dungeons & Dragons. We're going to talk about the creator of Dungeons & Dragons who is Gary Gygax. We're going to talk about- uh, One of the creators. One. We're going to talk about Dave Arneson as well and we're also going to be talking about uh, some of the trivia of d d We're going to show you some very cool books and some really rare books uh, from the whole d d genre. We're going to talk about how it's influenced modern culture, uh, movies that have come out of it. We're going to talk about our favorite monsters and we're going to end off with a very cool contest and so you got to listen to the entire episode and you have the chance to win something very cool. So Alex, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Great to be here, Ari. Good to be back. So D&D, all the episodes that we've had so far, we usually make a reference to D&D, or if we're not making a reference, many of those things are influenced by Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, D&D has has been around since the mid-70s and it's still going strong it has had its trials and tribulations with um uh, religious and parent groups who called it satanic and uh immoral so we're also going to talk about that which is pretty awesome and uh so you know where do you, where are we going to start so i read a book which is called empire of imagination which is by uh, michael whitbook it's a great book and it talks about the history of D&D. And I strongly suggest the listening audience to, to seek it out because it talks about Gary Gygax and his whole role uh, and what he went through. So anytime you make a company and you're passionate about what y- you, know, you love to do, um, it doesn't always mean that the business side is going to work. And Gary Gygax ran into that a lot uh, with his particular company. So uh, what year did d come out? I think 1974? is uh is the year
1: 74 is that an important year yeah. for you
0: uh it's, it's an important year for me yeah so 46 years ago and um we're not going to talk about the whole history of gary and and
1: where it comes from and stuff you can you can read the book obviously there's a great book playing the world or playing at the world or something like that it's, it's even even better book than the one that you mentioned and that, mm. if you want the history of D D, excellent book very well researched and and Jason, I guess
0: it depends on what side of the fence you you live on, on who the creator of D&D is and who had the most influence. I mean, we talked about Gary Gygax, but one person that people don't chat about is Dave. Dave. Dave, yeah. Dave Arniston. So Dave is, is the other person. Uh, there's actually a few that were involved in the D&D project. Now, most people who are aware of Dungeons & Dragons are aware of this. So this is the basic set of Dungeons and Dragons. However, this is not the first thing of Dungeons and Dragons. So Jason, we're going to kind of go back in time. Because if everyone thinks that this is the first kind of book, an incarnation of d d they're incorrect.
1: You're wrong. Yeah, It's so not the first. What is so, the first? Where does it start? Okay, so we can go back even further, but, but let's keep it basically so chain mail is not dnd but this is the rules in which dnd grew out of right so it's a it's, this is a silver foily thing it's hard to get it where the light doesn't wreck it there okay is that, is that so a copy
0: then, is that a copy or
1: a no re- no this is this is this is how it this is how it actually came this this edition this printing of it there's a great webpage that tells you about all the additions and can tell you by the little changes in the logos, which printing you have and stuff like that. But we don't have time to go into all that stuff. And then it went into the three, the three book, it's original D and D. Right. So, so you've got original D and D here, three books. It was like in a, in a wood grain box. And then there was a white, then there was a white box. And then it went to the earlier edition of basic uh-huh. the sorry blue homes edition here yep so it went went to that version and then the rule book that you held up before is from the basic here this is the one i started with in night this is 1981 version so why do I you have a mini have the set cool, uh, i have it because it's fucking because it's cool <laughs> that's why <laughs> yeah, it's and it's got <laughs> it's got the mini thing in here it's got keep on the borderlands one of yeah. the most popular modules ever so this one here so we got the yeah so coming here and then you go to the expert set again i've got the mini version here
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then from there then you go into well not technically technically advanced dungeon dragons came first but i was going on my own thing so then you go into ad and d player's handbook dungeon know, master's guide Monster Man- there's there's know. i didn't bring i didn't bring the whole bookcases you know <laughs> And it goes up and then you'll have like the unearth our Canon, the book you were talking about by the way the cover yeah. of the book there is very good because it actually takes off of takes off of this i don't know if you have the I actual do. copy no, I know so that's but, part of what makes it cool is that they do that detail of, yes. of considering stuff like and that. And
0: we're going to talk about that. And the funny thing a piece of trivia from that is the artist of the cover of Unearthed Arcana also drew the
1: front cover of Empire of Imagination. Yeah, so it's a similar kind of thing. Anyway, that's just like a quick through things and then things go later and there's some other stuff that's D&D and some stuff that's more D&D than D&D and we can get into that later but that's the quick overly super overly simplified if you're sitting there yelling at me that's not quite right yeah I know but this show isn't a 4 hour show <laughs> for an 80 part documentary series like I would do so so there's a, short version. there's
0: a, uh, interesting thing about Dungeons and Dragons. They made a documentary. They started making a really cool documentary of D and D, but there was a falling out, uh, with the producers. There was three guys that were doing it. And one of the guys, yeah, and the
1: Kickstarter shit still hasn't come out yet. So yeah, sh- fit, shake fist in air, get that shit done guys. You still got my money.
0: Yeah. So it, it's, uh, apparently they have all these interviews they did with all these people and it was supposed to be the documentary on D and D and I'm sure a ton of people would love to see it. Now, when you look at a guy like Alex, uh who, who didn't grow up with this, he grew no. up with what? So he's gonna he's gonna show you a book which was his Dungeons and Dragons.
2: Yeah, so this is the one that uh my friends and I first started playing. Uh well, not the first, not the first version I've ever played, but this is uh Pathfinder, uh, which was essentially created uh sort of as a startup i guess as sort of a fan uh fiction of dungeons and dragons just uh, a little bit more simplified and it sort of took a different spin uh because people felt that it dungeons and dragons had become a little bit over complicated um and it sort of excluded a lot of people because every time your character wanted to turn around you'd have to like calculate for 15 minutes and figure out exactly how he stepped or you know what the wind was, you know, was there a wind blowing from the east? What was the temperature? You know, every every single factor coming into it. This was just a lot more about the role-playing aspect, and it was really cool to kind of, uh, you know, I had an introduction to uh, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, but this was when I actually first had my first campaign, and I noticed the flow was a little bit different, uh, and it really sort of uh, just sucked me right in, uh, being able to immerse yourself uh, in this other world and not have it be too overly complicated with a bunch of the sort of tabletop role-playing games. Uh, so, you know, we, we were able to stumble uh, and figure it out. It was the, the dungeon master. It was his first time to, uh, having a campaign, but, uh, you know, we we're able to figure it out. We didn't need a veteran to show us the ropes or anything. We just bought the books and got down to it.
0: And so one of the things about Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and all the games that came after D&D is the rule sets have changed obviously when basic came out the, it was pretty basic they didn't have a lot of things and it was very heavy on imagination but as yeah. advanced dungeons and dragons came out they added more rules and as version you know second edition third edition 3.5 fourth and fifth it all changed it went rules heavy and then it didn't go rules heavy so there has been an ebb and flow of the rules and you'll look at the cross-section of people who play D&D, and everyone has their favorite edition, which they like. Well, Me-
2: and, and and there's, a, I think, a certain point that, you know, you can't make a Dungeons & Dragons player truly happy because there's there's always, you know, room to grow and be creative and all this other stuff, and sometimes you want to really focus in, and you don't. That's what's so fantastic about the game is it's just everybody who's present, they bring their own special take to it, right? Yeah, so sometimes. Yeah. He, uh, a couple kids were in the drama class, so it was, you know, really interesting. One of the guys was a bard, and he used to, like, have to sing, uh, like, an actual song in order to, like, cast a spell, and he was, like, he was doing all, like, he was doing System of a Down, you know, like, uh, <laughs> watch the the table, right? Like, he's just, like, coming up with stuff like that. He's got his loot, right? But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's fun to be creative and silly with it sometimes, but it's also good to have a smooth, dynamic game that doesn't leave a bunch uh, you know, totally to random chance that you can build and develop a character mm-hmm. and you get this mm-hmm. sense of uh, accomplishment and growth as well.
0: Gary Gygax actually has a rule in, in D&D that he wrote and he basically was talking about how the rules are just suggestions and right. everything else falls to imagination, right? And, uh, you know, let's- Jason, Products
1: of your imagination uh, is what they used to call it.
0: Right, and- Um, so Jay, when you would play D and D, were you more into the rule set and the rolling and all the percentages, or were you more into the back history and the actual role
1: playing of the game? It depended on, on the game. Like we did a whole variety of different things. So that's, that's the beauty of role playing is that there's so many different ways that you can play it. And if you just play it just one way, you're missing out on part of the richness of what role playing is. So sometimes you'd have great backstory. Sometimes you'd just do it as a glorified war game, board game. Sometimes you'd get into it where you wouldn't roll any dice. You'd just be talking and acting and it would kind of depend on which, which one you were into. And wh- each group develops their own dynamic too. So yeah. it's, there's, no, there's no one right way to play. There's no one right best game ever. It's what's right for you at the time with the people you're playing with.
0: So here's my first question for the both of you, and I'll start with you, Alex. Yep. Um, let's say that you're playing a role-playing game, and let's say you're playing Pathfinder D&D, and the dungeon master is talking about something in particular, like you're walking down a path, you come to a pit, and you need to get over the pit. And The, the dungeon master says, uh, Alex, what do you do? And your response is, I'm going to jump over the pit. Yes. Yeah. So now this comes down to a dexterity role or something like that. Yeah. Here's the, my question. Some DMs will have their DM screens up, and they will roll the dice, 20-sided or whatever, behind the screen, and they'll be like, Alex, unfortunately, you jumped, and in midair, you miss, you fall into the pit, you die. Yep. Some DMs will be like, Alex, please roll to see if you can make the jump. So my question to you is, would you rather have the DM roll it, or would you rather roll to perform feats?
2: I think that... It depends on the game and depends on the level of intensity that you're playing it with. Uh, For me, I personally prefer rolling the dice just for the feel of it. I like that level of interaction. But I think that you can actually enjoy a very rich game when someone else is rolling for you. But it then becomes much more on that storytelling, like very casual level. Uh, But for me, like, it's funny, I really appreciate the role playing aspect, but I'm like, all about the character sheets and that like sense of like accomplishment and leveling up and the build. Um, So that is really important to me. So I, for that reason alone, I'd have to say that uh, I I prefer to roll the dice.
1: How about you, Jason? depends on the type of atmosphere you're trying to build it makes for a very different game if you have it behind the screen you're keeping things secret if you're if you're doing something where the players don't know what's going on and they're unsure of things that can really help build the atmosphere by having that not known because when you get to be good at gaming you can see if you can see the dice rolls you're like okay that roll made it that roll didn't make it okay boom this is what we need and you can do all this math. mentat math in your head and you're just like brrrt and yeah. all of that comes out so that makes for a different kind of game and if you want if you want people to be immersed sometimes you don't want them having all that happen other times you want to have them really crunching the number and going at that with the dice and getting that personal involvement of rolling the dice and it's like hey man you roll the dice if you roll it you killed yourself it wasn't me you go <laughs> ahead you roll that out there in front of everyone else and you take that there it's got a kind of drama of itself they're not there's no when way is right They're they're they're, they're for different purposes. And, and, and that's what I mean. Like sometimes... Having a tool kit.
2: Yeah, it, it really depends if the dungeon master is of a caliber that he can, you know, make the game run smoothly if he's in total control, right? When the player has the dice, there's a little bit of uh, less control for the dungeon master, essentially.
0: So let me pose a question to both of you and also to the listening audience. And this is a big one. This is a moral or ethical question in Dungeons & Dragons for the dungeon master. Is it more important to roll a dice and say you're jumping over that pit and you roll and you end up failing and you die, but the DM for the story doesn't want you to die and allows you to live, even though the roll behind the screen said that you died. What do you think of that? Is it okay to smudge the rules and just be like, we're just, this is about the story and it's not about the
2: rule? Again, it totally depends on what you're playing for. If you've gotten together with a group and I think you have that mindset of coming into it and playing it like a game, like it's something to be conquered and you're trying to, you know, you have to be willing to accept that you may not win, right? You might die and everybody else might die and there's nothing wrong. I, I, I like a challenging game. I play challenging video games and I play challenging board games i think that uh if something isn't forgiving uh then there's like you know if it's if it's too easy there's you know there's not necessarily too much of a point for me personally right uh then again if you're playing a very casual game it's really nice to have somebody you know you can be very relaxed but personally i like to sweat a little bit i like to be really involved in it if i'm committing the time um, but if you're just being really casual, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm.
1: I don't know. Jay. It d- depends again, like it's going to be, if the guy's going to die in the pit, it gives a certain sense. Like you look at it like a TV show or movie the character dies in the pit. Everyone's going to go shit. We could die next. So it sets a real mood for everybody that anyone can die at any moment. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. but and also that kind of thing happen
2: what what's the likelihood of uh you know a character integrating back in like does that player then get to make a new character and how does that character start at a certain level yeah. or how does that character then interact mm-hmm. again there are kind of fun yeah. ways it's not just over for that player like yeah you may be a, you may have built an attachment to that character but mm-hmm. having him be able to die is like part of that journey you know having it be able to be taken away from you right is, uh, yeah. you know, and there has
1: to be a sense of danger. Like if you can't lose your character for anything, then it's like yeah. some stupid Mary Sue thing. It's like there's no danger. It's like, oh, I guess our heroes are going to all come out okay. But on the other side, so sometimes you want to kill them off like that. But on the other way, you might ha- want to kill them, but you want to kill them for a good purpose. Like they want to die can, you're planning on killing them, but you want them to die heroically, not just randomly. So mm-hmm. they're different kinds of games, depending what you You can be a different brand of killer DM, even if you mm-hmm. are a killer killer DM. Mm-hmm. And I'll, later on, I'll touch. To, I don't want to get into it now. So, but I mean, I I think that like
2: fundamentally too. It, it, again, it kind of comes down to the consensus of you know for for us when we were like laying out our campaigns, we we established what level of fantasy it would have. Uh, you know, what our party, um, morality was overall, uh, a couple of key things just to make everything run smoothly. So it wasn't just a group of people randomly all doing what they wanted to do, um, just to smooth it out because it is however many people, I think for us, there was six of us. Um, so, you know, it can get confusing if everybody's kind of working against each other or not coordinated. So I think it's important yeah. to you know, make sure that you're on top of that and you have sort of an established starting point for everybody.
1: Yeah, um, and everyone's got to ha- like the same – got to have a consensus about how you're going to play. Some people like combat-heavy things. Some people like role-playing heavy. Some people like puzzles. Some people like – You know, there's different aspects that you can do, and and one player might like this, one might like another. You may have a whole group that's into a thing. So you got to be able to adjust it to what the group agrees on. And maybe sometime you want to do this, another time the group agrees. As long as everybody's on the same page, have those ground rules where everyone's following the same thing, then everyone has more fun. But you create it together. Yeah. So,
0: so how big is too big of a troop when you're playing uh, role playing or Dungeons and Dragons? characters or players?
2: Mm, players. Players. You mean like but they could have multiple characters then or like just one one to one?
0: No, it's just like how many people like sitting at a table is too many people at a table.
2: Um I honestly we had 6 sitting at the table, so 5 players, 1 DM, that's it just it depends on the people, man. I think if you are in the really same creative headspace or uh, just a very similar personality type, the more people you could have, just because the more automatically you are on the same page or playing for the same reasons or trying to get the same thing out of it. Uh, it's just if you have different personality types, it can be a little bit conflicting. If somebody would rather like talk to the goblins instead of just murder them all, and then you know you waste a lot of your time like we're trying to talk to these goblins and then you roll a charisma thing wrong and now they're all trying to kill you. And you're like, why did we do that? Like you can get frustrated. Like people can be, uh, uh, you know, frustrating when you've, you know, spent the last four hours trying to get somewhere and then they decide to pick something up or do something stupid. And you're like, why did you do that? So I I don't know. It it really, again, it just depends on the people and the, the group that you're playing with, I think.
1: That It's one of the interesting things about how D&D has evolved. Um, in the old days of D&D, there was something called the caller. And if I tell you that who was your party caller, most people these days like, what the, what the hell is a caller? There was a mapper, there was a caller. So some of the early games, you'd have like 15 players in, in the things. And so you had a party caller. So one person would say what people were doing because it's too much to do all the stuff. You'd have someone who does the mapping, you'd have these big sand tables with a whole bunch of people around it. You can do it like that. You can have other ones where people have multiple characters, people that are running their main characters, and they have their character's henchmen as the levels go up. It's It gives a different kind of game. You can have an intimate thing where you have like a one-on-one you know, player DM sessions where you're just developing your character on the side, or you can have these massive things where you've got a ton of different people. And again, it, Role playing grew out of the wargaming era, where there was a whole bunch of people around these. So a lot of the early D has that kind of kind of stuff, where those some of those assumptions are where you have a lot bigger group of people. There's yeah, and if
0: group. if you actually if you look at chainmail, chainmail was actually a wargame with miniatures, and then I think uh, just yeah. a small and, and the of
1: end of it. This, the,
0: that's the important part for D right?
1: Yeah. So chainmail is a wargame, but then that in that. It has the fantasy, sorry, bad camera, fantasy supplement here, which is page 28 out of page 28 to, yeah, I used to actually know this, 39. So that's the fantasy supplement. And that's just tables at the back, but it's just an addendum to Chainmail, is what D&D kind of comes from but it's the the amount of players is is yeah it it can vary in the amount of characters you're asking about the pit i like personally i like each player to have two characters because then you can feel you could always kill off one of their characters and they never have the character protection like oh i'm the hero my guys are never gonna die it's like hey one of your guys could die at any time right so Mm -hmm. maybe not both but and then maybe you shouldn't keep them both beside each other or something or you know what but yeah tastes very
0: so the the question is is uh, Jason I asked you what edition of D&D do you prefer and and why
1: Me I prefer my own edition but um each one has its <laughs> each one has its own charm but house rules that's the best way to do it cuz you just make it make it to your own to your own thing um let's see I would say that um the spirit wise I basically am tied to a hybrid of basic and advanced, because I foolishly, when I was young, I didn't understand how things work. So you start with basic D&D because it's basic. And then I saw that there was an expert, but I'm like, well, I'm not an expert yet, you know? i just basic. So then I had to go to advanced DD. I advanced from basic I went from basic to advanced. And then I was okay to be an expert, not realizing that it was supposed to be basic. Yes, I know it's got a one and two on it. Thanks, people. I can, I did see that, and I could count at the time, too. But somehow I got in my head that that's how it worked. And a lot of people in my era did that, as we made a hybrid between, between them. And if you read the Dungeon Master's Guide from the first edition, uh huh. I know what you're gonna say here. Yep good luck making sense of it. It is full of ideas. It's, it like puts the Bible to shame. If you can open up a page and get something you like, whoa, I've never saw that before. That's really cool. And if you think you understand how the combat system works, yeah, good luck. You know, I've got this thing explaining it here that that's someone's went through a lot of trouble and it's like 20 pages of someone going through the things. And I learned a couple things after playing d d for decades. I was like, oh, that's what that part meant. There's all kinds of things. Some people would use, some wouldn't. I like weapon speeds. I like spell casting times. Some people are like, what the hell are you talking about? I like weapon versus armor adjustments. Some people are like, you're insane. Some people are looking at me like, what, what is, or what, or what even are those things?
2: So Here's you didn't, you didn't, you didn't mind the heavily ruled vers like aspects, like, cause, cause you could get into it. Right. Like, that's what I mean. The more, the more rules you have, it doesn't restrict your freedom. It just, it just gives you makes more options exactly exactly yeah. right but, and, the, and, but the trick is decision more right like it's, it's adding to the game
1: right but the trick is to know when to use them and when not to use them people made that complaint more with role master, but the thing is not having too many rules. It's just the appropriate use of rules at the right time. You can play something that's rules light that has almost no rules and just make up things on the fly. You can play things with a whole ton of rules, but just because you have all the rules in the world doesn't mean you have to use them all the time. You just use them when they're appropriate, which rules you want. Make up house rules when you got a better idea. And it used to be the old style of gaming goes, it goes for judgments not rules and dms were also known as judges rather than there so you'd make judgments you wouldn't you wouldn't have players saying the rule says this it would be like no what happens here Uh okay well i'll make a judgment it goes this way instead right. of going by the precedent of the rule book. okay yeah. different style of play it's
0: it's funny because so jason held up his advanced Dungeons and dragons dungeon master guide right so i have a second printing of it here different cover pretty much
1: why, why is it all glossy? You got that thing. You got that laminated.
0: Yeah, I have plastic on it because I used it so much. So, um, but one of the marketing things that Gary, the TSR did, which was kind of stupid, but they did it anyway, was in this particular book. It says, "If you are a player, do not read this book," right? Because it has obviously information that the players shouldn't read. Now, think of this. It has moment. a great. It has a great warning on that. Is it can you find it for me? Less so, less. Uh, basically, think of, di- think of it this way as a marketing, if you're trying to sell books, but the majority of the players and people who are buying the stuff aren't allowed to this read. This is
1: awesome. I have mine highlighted there. This is awesome. Read it out. We didn't even plan this, but I just want to show you that it actually is highlighted, and, and I know no one else will believe us. That That's awesome. Okay, read it this out. This actually is like this. What is Okay, it this is from that era. As this book is the exclusive precinct of the DM, you must view any non-DM player possessing it as something less than worthy of an honorable death. Page page eight, second paragraph.
2: Easy. Less than worthy of an honorable death.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah, there it is. Peeping players, there will undoubtedly be but they are simply lessening their own enjoyment of the game by taking away some of the sense of wonder that otherwise arises from a game which has rules hidden from its participants. So there it is. So that was the one problem with TSR. And and their whole structure is they were trying to get it right. And they had they had some massive successes and then they had some massive failures. So I think it was between the... At 1983 is when they had stopped publishing their their last ADD book, and they didn't have anything for two years, and the company was in financial ruin. And so, what happened was there was a book that came out. We've already talked about it, and where did I put it? And here it is: Unearthed Arcana. So, Jason- With the worst
1: fucking binding ever. Like, I mean, come on, guys. They really, they really cut things short on the binding. <coughs> like, look at this shit. And this is, and if you you've been doing it. I've got like four of these, but this one here is... Mine's still together. Well, you got got a lucky. You got one of the rare ones that hold together.
0: Unearthed Arcana was one of my favorite books because one, if you look at the cover art, it's fantastic. Two, it has some very, very cool spells and character stuff in it. Uh, The Thief Acrobat was introduced. So this particular book saved TSR and Dungeons & Dragons in 1985 it sold 80,000 copies in 1985 in the first month. So that absolutely allowed TSR to, to regain uh, some, some financial stability. Now I was listening to that book empire of imagination and apparently when it went into financial ruin again um, a decade later before it was bought out by wizards of the coast, uh, they ended up going to the warehouse in Lake Geneva and apparently these 50 foot ceilings from the floor to the ceiling were absolutely full of product that they never sold, including first edition and second edition books with the risk sitting there 20 years old and they hadn't sold. It would that's, be,
1: that's not, that's a sad story, but it's not the saddest.
0: Yeah, it's not. Well, we'll talk about some more sets up, but <sighs> stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, what's a, what's sadder than that,
1: Jason? the original art let's talk about it the original art dnd has some fantabulous art some of the original art done by the tsr artists was apparently just taken and chucked out in a dumpster stuff that right now people would ebay that stuff for literally thousands tens of thousands of dollars and it was just thrown out so when that Gary, to me is, is one of the things like the text is one thing, yeah. but the art and the original art throwing out that breaks, breaks what's left of my heart.
0: So what Gary Gygax was doing, and I don't know if Alex knows this story is when he was producing this, he didn't have very much money. It was only a few thousand dollars that they had. So the artwork he was getting anyone who could draw and I, he was paying. Really? two dollars okay look at two dollars look,
1: look at the art for the bait for the original where did i, I just had it's, those here here's it here's the art for the original covers of so this is original D D. that's awesome that's awesome and a lot of it is traced you can see from comic books and stuff so that, look at the, that was the, essentially where like, things were were traced thing. over there they're like so amateur oh yeah there's there's some great art what were you gonna ask Alex? But that's
2: is that just like so basically people volunteered or did it for extremely cheap like yeah,
0: because he didn't have any money to actually pay artists and the other thing that you'll find in D&D because of the copyright rules back in the 70s were super loose they blatantly were ripping off artwork and a ton of stuff and throwing them into books because they were like man yeah. what's going to happen
1: in fact, you'll see, like that's a later one. So that one there has halflings in it. The Tolkien mm-hmm. Estate, they were kind of bastards, um, were on their case because they had hobbits and balrogs and stuff. So if you have some of the earlier stuff, mm-hmm. that's what they'll call them. But then in the later stuff, they changed them. Uh, yeah, the deities and demigods, the book on gods and stuff like that. If you get the earlier version, you've got the...
0: Uh, okay, we'll hold off on flu- that. Hold on on that way. Wait, wait, wait. So uh, the funny thing about Gary Gygax and and, uh, Tolkien, he was not a fan of Tolkien. He thought that Tolkien's work was boring. And he said... Really? He expanded. Yeah, he hated it. Um, So uh, that's just one of those interesting things. But now talking about the copyright thing, and Jason was just bringing this up. So this is Legends and Lore. And Legends and Lore was the second printing of deities and demigods now deities and demigods had some copyright problems and you have well, uh, a copy of it right
1: yeah but there's but yeah i've so there's deities and demigods but then they had to remove two chapters from it and it was still deities and demigods it has the yes. same cover so if you're in secondhand stores you can't tell by the cover you actually have to open it up open it i up. snagged several of them by by opening it up, and then they just did the re- they redid the covers, just like the Dungeon Master's Guide, the yellow spine ones. They did they redid the covers for the. So what's second.
0: missing? What's missing from the original DTS and Demigods to that second edition? What did they pull out?
1: So they pulled out the Cthulhu Mythos, which was a big mistake. Like I mean, look at how popular Call of Cthulhu got. Um, so that was. Why why did they pull it out? What was the reasoning behind that? Uh, because
0: it was they copyright. To, to, yeah, did Chaosium they didn't they own yeah. it, so that was that was the thing. So they didn't have the the legal. Yeah, right. so they
1: didn't... Yeah, so they should have made a deal. They should have made a deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: they made a verbal deal. So, this is actually the what I had heard. They made a verbal deal with them, and also with Michael Moorcock and the uh, Melibonium Mythos. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so they also pulled that so jason has an original copy of the deities and demigods with those in there right yeah yeah i've seen it so it's it's pretty awesome and i wish i had that one i don't unfortunately
1: sorry i i did buy several of them and gave them away as gifts but before (laughs) that was before we had yeah anyway there's there's so much cool how did we get on to that part it doesn't matter because Dungeons & Dragons role-playing
0: is amazing. So now we're going to kind of segue into... I'm going to ask... It's Alex.
1: amazing. So, Amazeful monsters, maybe.
0: D&D and role-playing permeates our lives. And it has, it has basically launched a thousand other games. And one of the things they talk about is Facebook is actually... If without D&D, there would be no Facebook. And you're like, well, how does that work? So the idea is when you make up a Facebook profile, you're making up an alter ego, it's not really you. And that's what role playing is. And so the whole social media thing of putting yourself out there is actually not the real you. So they act. They look at role playing as being the grandfather to kind of social media. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, and also role playing gave the ability for geeks to become social, which when they never were before. Right. So think yeah. about how many people who were socially awkward got to get together and enjoy this
1: tabletop gaming. And then built your computers because they met other people that were interested in the same stuff and made all the science fiction and fantasy and TV and movies and computer games and all the stuff that, that you people enjoy would not be possible if people that played D&D hadn't got together.
0: Mm-hmm. And then like we look at Alex has talked about some of the games that he's played, computer games, they're role playing games. Like think of some of your favorite uh, uh, computer games, Alex, and throw them out there.
2: The Elder Scrolls, that like so, Skyrim, Oblivion, all those games is like RPG. That's a that's essentially the closest video game I've played to an actual like campaign of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Dark Souls, like, a, any RPG, any role playing game is mm-hmm. can, can be credited back to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, Lord of the Rings is a little different because they spawn many different video games and things like that from, from there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, they're endless. Any any RPG, I think uh, you have to give uh, credit to Dungeons & Dragons for sure.
0: So, Alex, let me ask you this question. You were playing Pathfinder before. Are you drawn to a particular character class or race? Typically? So,
2: uh, yes, my very. First the Dungeons and Dragons character I ever made uh was a half orc. But my next character, because the first time I played, we just played a couple games and it was I was very into the combat um and that aspect. And we made the characters first, then we went to like buy a little figure, and um I had just I don't know, I wanted a big barbarian character. I thought I didn't understand the game, I didn't have the concept. And after playing a little bit, I realized I didn't like being like a stupid brute. I didn't, I didn't understand the restrictions because when you're building a character, you can't just be good at everything. You can't just come out and you are the strongest, the smartest, the fastest. You have to balance and you're going to have weaknesses. So for me, my next character that I played my first full campaign through with was a rogue. And I found that that really actually suited my playstyle better um uh we were a primarily uh lawful good group uh i was the i was neutral so i was good neutral uh which allowed me to you know every once in a while i would go against what the party wanted and i would just say like no i've had enough of this i'm stealing this thing or i'm you know i'm gonna go kill this guy or whatever like i was the one that would uh be able to break rank and kind of do what may be necessary but not along the party's Uh, mentality, right? The the paladin was not capable of the things that I was capable of. So uh, that really sort of allowed me to have a lot more fun with it, Um, as well as having a character that was more charisma focused, as opposed to strength. So it was more about dexterity and uh, charisma. So that made it more about my wits than it did about rolling the dice and that's when i really first started to get into it so for me a rogue just for the versatility and the way that he tackles scenarios that are non-combat based awesome
0: uh jason what about you do you are you drawn to a particular character or race dm dm yeah.
1: <laughs> honestly i am too. yeah no yeah, the DM cuz you get to do you get to do a bit of a bit of everything. It kind of depends on my mood and what's going on in my life at the time. Sometimes when my life is really complicated, I can have a lot of fun playing a a low intelligence barbarian that just smashes things that doesn't have so. to overthink things. But there's other times in life where I want to get in and play the wizard with all kinds of plans within plans and backups and contingencies. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and and again, like for me, the the Rogue was good because it's like, have you heard the improv um, saying that an idea is exactly like Transformers? There's Autobots and there's Decepticons, and the Decepticons are the bad guys, and they're always complicated. They're airplanes, they're tanks, they're something, you know, crazy and destructive and then you got the Autobots. They're simple. They're cars, trucks. It's more basic. Right. And that was a good scenario for me because I found as I was playing to to simplify it initially helped me understand and learn the game as opposed to just being too wrapped up with what I thought the game was, right? Because until you've really experienced it, you can come in with your own preconception of what's going to happen. And for me with that Barbarian, I was totally off base with what i thought was going to happen and how the game worked um and having a character that was able to discuss things and problem solve and get into a lot of what this whole other aspect of the game uh can offer you right and so for me that was that was the that was the sort of the freeing moment for me
0: and I agree with you. So Jason's being confused because of the unmuting and stuff like that. It's because we're getting feedback on your side. You, you have to turn down your earphones, your, your Jay. That's why I keep doing that because we're getting feedback. But so um, so one of the things with d d which I will admit is by playing it, it has allowed me to problem, problem solve. And I use problem solving when I was getting interviewed for policing for a ton of jobs because I just looked at it as, as a campaign. And many people who play DD or role playing, they're, these aren't just like two week adventures. They have campaigns that are going on for years. Um, I have been a part of uh, campaigns that have gone on for, for literally years. And wow. they're, they're amazing, right? Um, the problem is, is you need a certain allotted time. People have to have schedules that fit it, right? And as you get older, it can become more difficult because of, obviously, jobs and, sh- and shift work like that. But one of the promises I made to myself is I want to return back to getting into role-playing again um, because I miss it. And it's I think it's super important. Now... Dungeons and Dragons, one of the things about that is it has so many different monsters and creatures in it. And that's the great thing. And Pathfinder does, too. So Alex and Jason and myself are going to, everyone's grabbing a book, are going to be talking about. Yeah.
2: Beaster. Yes.
0: Okay. So yeah. this is great. So everyone's got their own thing because I'm grabbing. Hold on. So we're going to do a top three for each of us so i've grabbed my, this was my first AD&D book that i actually bought which was the monster manual two believe it or not oh yeah um yeah it was just at a hobby store and i remember seeing it one day and i was like i wonder what this is and so uh i think it was yeah 83 is when i bought
1: yeah. this one and the funny thing is when i, this opened, would, this, th- when I opened it okay. mm-hmm. apparently oh, the- that was in it that it's, was in it already?
0: No, I put them in. There's a whole bunch of Transformers stickers in it. <laughs>
2: Just to remind you to keep it simple, right?
0: Yeah. So we're going to talk about our favorite monsters from each of these books. Okay, so I'm going to choose three monsters from here. Jason will do the same, and so will Alex. So yep. we'll, we'll do will in a round robin. So we'll start with Jason on a very cool monster from Monster Manual 1 and why you think it's cool.
1: he's trying to find it right? i am going to choose mind Flayer. this is my original monster manual i'm choosing the mind flare with my original coloring amazing Here, seen for the first time okay so i'm no. choosing the mind flare which
2: so there's an important note of mind flare we'll have to come back after we do the round robin and we'll we'll, we'll bring up the mind flare and the inspiration behind that i'm sure people listening uh have heard mind flare before it's a very popular thing nowadays we Mm -hmm. talked
0: about it in our monster episode actually
2: we did that was a
0: great episode
2: it was a great episode
0: so (laughs) you need to listen to our monster episode with the greatest monsters of all time that's a great torvis episode so part one let's go into jason's mind
1: flare why is the mind
0: flare so cool
1: mind flare is so cool it psionics added a completely different dimension to d and d now you also have to remember remember I was saying about how I went from basic to advanced to expert well this actually was the first advanced stupid camera the first advanced D book that I bought so I just was like hey more monsters awesome and I'm using them and then you're reading this stuff you're like wait a minute some of this stuff isn't in the rules this is kind of cool it's got some extra stuff and psionics was one of those other things so you've got these cool psionic powers in here but i don't have the player's handbook i don't know what the hell psionics are i don't have the rules for it so i'm using this for a while and it's not just me because i did things in some weird order the order the books were published and things didn't come out like bang 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 if you look at the publishing dates there's some pretty big gaps between when one book came out and the other so but psionics added a lot master you know genius villains with mind powers controlling things that that was pretty cool
0: so Mm. so the mind flare now alex what do you got
2: well for me uh it's probably not much of a surprise but this was always uh one of my favorite monsters was the gold dragon very uh many different depictions depending on uh what you're playing, but essentially it's like the ultimate fire dragon was always the thing. And, uh, to me it was, I never actually, we never fought a gold dragon. Um, but we were leading up to it. Yeah. And it was like, that was the ultimate goal for me. It was like the most intimidating thing. It was like to slay the dragon. I don't know. It just, I'm, I'm a huge fan of dragons as it is. And the gold dragon to me is the, was the king of all of them. So, so
0: let me ask you a question: cool. In Pathfinder, are there alignments? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And what alignment is a gold dragon?
2: Uh, the gold dragon is. I have to see. I have. It's been so long since I've looked at this to see what the alignment is. Okay. Um, well,
0: DD, can you let me know what it is there, please, Jason?
1: Um, lawful good.
0: Yes. So this is the funny thing because the color of the dragon would determine when you got good at D D, you'd be like, What color is a dragon? And you'd be able to know what line it what was.
2: You or what kind of breath is gonna breathe on you. Like yes. yeah, they all yeah. depicted the yeah, yeah. Yeah. So exactly. that was- and, that, and the golden dragon too was like he was the smart, sophisticated, like there was a sort of a if you were it was like you could talk to him. You could try to get the treasure or you'd have to fight him. Like I remember it being, we never did it. So it's kind of my, uh you know, my, my white rabbit, the one that got away. So
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, dragons are very cool. And uh, this is a side note. I was just watching the first episode of dungeons and dragons in 1983, the cartoon, and it is exceedingly dungeons poor. And dragons. It, it was it's so bad. It was so bad, but uh, they have Tiamat in there, obviously. Um,
1: they got some cool magic items in there. Yeah, Tiamat. They did. Of- it was just, it was so simple. The art was, was so simple. Avenger and stuff. But at the time, it was like, ooh, Saturday morning cartoons, yeah. all for ignorance is bliss. But
0: yeah. So that leads me over to talk about Tiamat, And TMAT was actually a devil. And Tiamat was the ruler of the first layer of hell. And that's what Jason is looking up right now in Monster Manual 1. Uh, it's really, either really cool that I know that it's in there or it was just really bad because we're so geeky. So I've always been fascinated with the devils. There's t Yeah,
1: so I never get used to the way the cameras work backwards. It's like a mirror. Clearly I'm not vain enough to have enough mirror ability.
0: So I really love the devils and the whole, the mythos and D&D of the devils and the demons. And I really like the devils. So um, each of the nine levels of hell are ended up being ruled by a different demon and devil uh, or, or devil, I should say. So one of my favorites from Monster Manual 2 is Mephistopheles. Oh, we always,
1: use, we always used to joke about this, too. So I really like... I, I didn't realize that was your favorite when I was making those jokes. Yeah, cool.
0: so Mephistopheles was one of my favorites. So he's the ruler of the eighth uh, level of hell. And um, there's obviously different ones. There's one. nine. So eight out of nine. Yes. And number nine is Asmodeus. Now, here's a piece of trivia, Jason. Let's see if you get it. They have Asmodeus as nine. They have Mephistopheles as eight. But in a dragon magazine, they actually published Satan as one of the devils. Did you? Yeah,
1: yeah they they have. They actually have. Yeah, they have Satan in there. Um, and they have a, another one. They have another series of ones where they have outcast devils also yeah. that are banished. So the first plane of hell also has a whole bunch of ones that are outcast that used to have other positions within the hierarchy and stuff. People that are Forgotten Realms fans, Ed Greenwood, the guy that did Forgotten Realms, actually did a really good job with that stuff. Even, you know, but he did a really good. If you if you like Nine Hells stuff, read ed greenwood's articles on the nine hells and stuff they're they're great so very cool i'm really into
0: that and as a sidebar here um i was so into the mythos of that that kind of hell thing that during one of my campaigns i did a whole hellraiser thing that i created a whole genre in D&D of hellraiser mythos with pinhead and stuff because it was so cool
1: now Going have on we to done Jason. Hellraiser. yet? We, we have not done Hellraiser yet as a, that's an we will. episode. We will, don't worry. Okay, fine. Okay.
0: So, number 2, Jason, what do you got for a favorite monster from Monster Manual 1?
1: Well, I have a soft spot for the uh, Jesus. Umber Hulk. Okay? Why? It digs through stone. It doesn't doesn't fly it doesn't just walk it doesn't swim it digs through stone it's tough it's got this really cool thing when it looks at you and causes confusion and fucks parties up uh the first module i ever played before i even started getting my own dnd stuff was actually <coughs> ghost tower of inverness it was a dnd module before playing dnd before i played D, and that's so I have really fond memories of Umber Hulk. From, um I'm gonna do there and
0: so it's funny because your memory for D D is very is different than most people. So I'm gonna flash something at you and I want to see if you can tell me what it What's is. Was that
1: Isle of Dread that you just picked up? Uh,
0: I didn't even show it and he got it. It has
1: it it has the orange stripe on the Amazing. I, did you see that, Alex? I went like this.
0: It kind of went like whoop, that. Was all I did, and he saw it. And he Got it. Like, okay, I'm gonna do one more.
1: Isle of Dread is great. It's like it's like a King Kong knockoff thing. And Yep.
0: Okay, here's one. He won't get it. I mean, he'll know. It I
1: don't. Years. I don't know everything, and there's <laughs> a lot of shit that I don't know. This is one of the Dragonlance ones, and I don't know. It's green, so maybe it's spring dawning or something. I don't know. Dragons oh, of the Dragons Dreams. The it's fact that late, he got that right away was was awesome. <laughs> um, okay, now, those modules. Those modules are they're like you want to talk about horrible railroad-y kind of stuff. Novels don't trans. Makes a good novel doesn't necessarily make a good module. Just like Correct. what makes a good novel doesn't necessarily make a good movie. There's different mediums of doing it, and this brings up a larger point that role playing is not. It sometimes we always say it's like being in a TV show. It's like being in a movie. It's like being in a novel. It's like it, but it's not it. It's it's different. You're mm-hmm. not the right... and DMs you can't just be the writer that this is how my story goes. The characters have their own ideas and do their do their own do their own shit. So. That's kind of how things, anyway.
0: Um, get off it. Jason, you've closed the monster manual now. Don't open it. But um, how many hit points does an Umber Hulk have?
1: An Umber Hulk? Yeah. I don't know how many hit points it has. What is it like eight, eight plus three hit dice or something? Take know, a look. let's plus see. four, maybe, maybe, plus, maybe plus four. Let's see if he gets <laughs> eight plus three or four. Eight plus eight. Oh, I'm humiliated. Eight back
0: eight hit <laughs> Pretty close. Okay, Alex, what do you got for your second?
2: Uh, my second one is going to be an Oni, um, which in Pathfinder was an Ogre Mage. And mm. the reason that I bring that one up is because uh, I made a... Uh, we were playing sort of our, our evil campaign yep. and I was a lawful, evil, half-orc samurai uh, <laughs> that rode a Triceratops. This was like my most Decepticon, over the- ridiculous uh, character. Yeah. And the, the DM let me have that Triceratops, but he also kind of gave me this curse where this Oni would show up and like mess up. He was like my own personal like cursed demon uh, that would show up and, uh, you know, mess everything up for me. Uh so for me I I like the oni cuz uh it was a good adversary for my my samurai and uh just a really really kind of cool looking uh, japanese style demon. Yeah. And my armor there. Wow. So it was it was fun just because of the the relationship and how he would show up and just, you know, whenever I got a critical like win or something like that, that's when he would come and come out and get me. So <laughs> they always kept me in check.
0: Yeah. You do like the, the Oriental kind of demons and stuff like that. It's cause you've always, you've always been into that. So. Like yeah. so, <laughs> so my second favorite monster, and I'm going to now jump over to the demons was a demon by the name of Grasset. And he's right there, whoop, right here. And he was a six fingered demon, and he had a sword that uh, spat acid. He was also the arch. drip, dripped, dripped acid. It didn't spit acid. It, it dripped acid, yes. He was also the arch enemy of both Demogorgon and Orcus. Now, as you know, the Demogorgon uh, is mentioned in Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and it's also in Monster Manual.
1: And and I, he's a father. He's a father of what famous character from this campaign world? From Greyhawk, um, I can't remember who is it. You probably didn't read the novels, so you're not sure. And I'm not going to wreck the. Okay. I'm not going to wreck the surprise for you because those are novels that, as a and D guy, I can't believe you haven't read them. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so Grasset was one of my favorite demon princes. I just
0: again very cool. I really like the high level stuff. And uh, this demon. <laughs> Uh, always reminds me of my buddy Eli because he really likes it as well. So, uh, next to
1: you, Jason, what do you got? I have, let's hope things don't fall out again. Go to the opposite way that I think. I have a Sahugan. What is that? Sea Devils, Devil Men of the Deep. Oh.
2: So, are they like merfolk with legs?
1: They're like the, they're like basically like the um, the creature from the Black Lagoon kind of looking things in these in these early editions. Here, um, they're sort of uh, one of my favorite H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories is uh, Shadows of in- Innsmouth, and so see things, the salt marsh modules, very influential on me. Yes, Tom, hi. Um, we can go into a whole thing about that sometime. So Sahugan, I've got a series of sequel modules to the Saltmarsh ones, bringing the Sahugan more into focus with uh, some stuff. So I have a long and storied history with them, but I'm not telling the story here today. But they're one of my favorite monsters because of that.
0: We actually have to give a shout out to Tom. I think he's, we consider him the number one fan of Torvis. He's always uh, interacting. So really appreciate it. I want to meet this dude because he sounds very cool. He's, he's awesome. Yeah. Okay, Alex, what do you got for your number three?
2: So my number three is uh, he's pretty bittersweet because he was the first creature to kill me, uh, to kill my first yes. character. And that is the uh, owl bear.
1: Yeah.
2: <sighs> so I, I like this character. I mean, it, it just kind of... It was the first time I really just rolled a series of bad rolls in a row, and I got eaten by uh, an owl bear. I don't know. It was, it's really check cool. out the
1: haircut on, on the original there though. Oh, awesome! So good.
2: Yeah, I, and I, I like how Dungeons and Dragon does this, right? Is it'll take two animals that exist in nature in real life and just kind of mash them up, or you know, even more uh, at times, right? Uh, they'll play with, uh, animals from myth. Like there's, there's Pegasus, there's unicorns. And then, you know, give them a snake tail and it becomes something else. Right. So it's, it's cool that they're able to sort of combine these creatures from real life and really bring something into your mind that would be like ferocious and and intimidating. And an owl bear was certainly something I, I had a hard time in like picturing it at first, Mm -hmm. um,
0: uh yeah but it was what level was, was your character when you got killed by the
2: was the first one so my my character was like a level five we weren't i wasn't really supposed to like i was kind of went into its territory and where where was not supposed to be i was just kind of you know and i guess the dm was like okay well here we go here's what you stumbled across now mm-hmm. so
1: albert albert yeah. keep on the borderlands inside cover so Hackmaster versions even better but
0: we, we always have these monsters like Owlbear is yours so one of the monsters again so my number three monster that I love from Monster Manual 2 was a legendary monster uh, also possibly the most dreaded monster of all as it says here Tarrasque. Tarrasque. Yes. so here it is so that's it 300 hit point monster it would ravage the countryside eating all vegetation and animals at 300 hit points uh huge it had its teeth were sharpness teeth so it basically would just cut off limbs if it, it chomped on you again
1: you'd fit right into a godzilla movie
0: it, yeah amazing um just love it. it's 50 feet long so just great kind of uh, again monster i really like those high level monsters uh, and the high-level D&D campaigns where you could really delve into, like, the the crazy stuff. I mean, uh, the orcs and the goblins, those are great, too, but I, I've always been attracted to the, you're a level 15 character, and you're going against something big, so yeah. that kind of epic thing. Now, I do have to point out one one thing in the Monster Manual too, which I consider the worst monsters of all time. Um, there is a plane called Nirvana and on it are the Modrons. And the Modrons are basically these creatures that are shaped in different like squares and circles. They're the weirdest right. things. Right? But you get to learn about shapes and stuff, it's it's great. It's, it's just, they were so ridiculous and I always read it and I'm like, God, this is just odd. So anyway, weird stuff. Favorite monsters from each of these different books fantastic love
1: them and I think I'm sorry we didn't do a fiend folio that it really it's nothing against it it's got some great stuff We'll do some follow up later uh, fiend and folio was created in Britain correct it was, a, it was a, yeah it was like the British ones um, yeah they did some great stuff mm. So we're talking about our favorite monsters and kind
0: of went through this random thing of Dungeons and Dragons and how it's impacted us and and the cool things about it. But we're going to talk about a contest that we're going to do here on the Torvis podcast. And this is a neat one. So this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to go to a website called Hero Forge, and we'll put in the link uh, for you to go there. And on Hero Forge, you can design your own hero or character. And it's this little 3D model. and allows you to play different races, different classes, put different weapons. You can do different um, uh, poses. It's fantastic. It's basically this 3D modeling generator. And Hero Forge is awesome. Alex, myself, and Jason have all created characters. And we're going to put them up so you can see them here on the podcast. I'll just put them down uh, over top of this so you'll see. And so, this is what the contest is you need to go to Hero Forge and create a character, then take a screenshot of that character and send it to us um, via however you want to send it to us on our Instagram, is probably the easiest, which is the Torvis podcast uh, on Instagram. Send us that picture, then send us a write up of the hero and why and who they are. What we will do is take the top 10 characters, and images. And on our next episode of the Torbus podcast, we will feature them on the podcast. We'll tell the story and we'll basically decide which of the top 10 of the the number one, uh, which is the best. And that number one will get that hero made. So it's a 3D modeling. We'll have it made. We'll have it sent to you. So join us in this really cool Hero Forge uh, contest. Again, go to heroforge.com, a great website, and, and start making your characters. Unfortunately, you might get sucked into the generator because Alex was. You will,
1: not create, you will not create one character. It will not no. happen.
0: Uh, I've made yeah. several, and right. um, they're on yeah. the way. So I've actually ordered them. So they're on the way. Alex, how many you did already you already order? Wow. Yeah, I did. I ordered them. Yeah. So Alex uh, I think made like more than five and kept sending them to us?
2: I think I made about eight on like my first time you sent it to me. And I have, I it doesn't tell you the number, but I've got maybe maybe like 20, maybe 20, I don't know. I, I was totally, and the cool thing is, is you can do a lot of really cool um, pop culture references. I did a, uh, I did a ghost yep. rider i yep. did uh an assassin from assassin's creed yeah uh the ninja turtles you name yep. it there's all the fun stuff you can come up with the one sure.
1: i
0: did from modern culture was i did Ao Liang, the henchman from big trouble that little awesome. china you could actually make him it's it's just like it's crazy
1: Yeah, that's insane and i just want to say when you're sending the pictures in because these are 3d models um Personally, I like to see from not just one angle, but because some of the stuff you can't really get the whole, if you can capture the character from one angle, fine, but you can go wherever you want, you know, get like two or three so that you can show us the whole whole thing of the character. Unless if you can capture it in one, awesome, you're better than me. I find I need three to be able to really get a sense of the. Yeah, so
0: that's a great thing. So send us several different angles of this. Um, sometimes I would screenshot and just start recording my screenshot and do like a 360 of it, which is very cool. Um, and when you send us the write-up about it, don't make it one sentence. Like I want, you know, a couple paragraphs. Backstory. Yeah, make a backstory. And sometimes these heroes are who we think that we are, who we'd like to be. or Maybe it was a hero that you used to play in Dungeons and Dragons from years ago. And this was the, the person. So I made a couple characters. Or maybe it was a
1: monster that killed your character.
0: Well, they don't do monsters per se, though. Um,
1: wow. Well,
0: there's a I modification understand. there. But the 3D modeling on Hero Forge is incredible. We are now at a stage in our technology that we can we can do anything. And this is why it's such a wonderful thing. So as Alex and Jason both know, they went down the rabbit hole. They got lost in it. excuse me and so it's it's really really fun so join us for the contest the hero forge contest make your character send us the write-up we will choose on the next episode of the torvis podcast and you could win your hero so gentlemen thanks very much for joining me on the very brief dungeons and dragons episode and uh until next time keep on geeking on.